Let's read this word for us. Gather together, gather yourselves together, you shameful nation, before the decree takes effect and that day passes like the windblown chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land. You who do what he commands, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. This is the word of God for us. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't, isn't it such a good thing that the source of our hope, the source of our joy, and the source of our peace is not found in this world. That we serve a mighty and powerful and matchless God who loves us so much, so much to the point where he sent his son to die on a cross for us. Isn't that good news this morning? And even in a world that is broken, our God reigns. Amen? You know, uh, today I am excited. Uh, today is going to be challenging, um, but I'm hoping today is a good challenge for us this morning. I know it's going to be a challenge because for me, I know as I read the scripture that we're going to read today, and as God speaks to us through that scripture, it challenges myself. And I sort of expect the same for all of us. And, I'm, and you're going to see that today, and I'm actually going to use myself as an example at times, so I was kind of hoping that this would be a judgment-free zone this morning. Can I count on a judgment-free zone um, I get it. I get it. Like you're going to you're going to judge a little bit. That's OK. We'll, we'll move past that. Uh, but today is going to be challenging because we're talking about something and some a word that we don't really like. And the word is submission. Even saying the word submission for some of us begins to spark a little bit of resistance in our hearts. Maybe when we think of submission, we think of submitting homework at school. Like, that's not fun. Or maybe we think of submitting paperwork at work. Or for some of us, we think of submitting to mandates that the government makes that we have to obey. I just felt the room go still. Well, don't worry, we're not going to talk about that specific thing this morning. Uh, we're talking about a different submission. So you don't have to leave. You don't have to go anywhere. It's okay. Um, but if you do it all get uncomfortable by anything that we talk about and you, want, you have to get up and leave. For, like I notice those things. So at least just pretend like you're going to use the bathroom or something. Like that would be helpful for me. You know, in our world that is broken with sin, we get the wrong idea about submission. You know, over and over in Scripture, there is this theme of submitting to God and His authority. And if you don't agree with anything I've said thus far, we can all start here. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. And even Jesus, when He taught us to pray, displayed submission. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come and your will be done. 
And before he died, he did the same thing. Going a little farther, farther, he fell on his face with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. You know, there is great joy in submission. And that's exactly what I'd like to talk about today. So, Father, as we open your word, would you speak to us? Would you give us uh, a fresh insight into the passages of your written word this morning? That you would reveal to us the ways that we need to change, that you would reveal our hearts to us. Father, we pray that you would be in this room with us this morning. And thank you for all that you do for us in your son's name. Amen. So we are starting a new sermon series uh, called Hope Remains. Uh, It is based on a small prophetic book in the Old Testament called Zephaniah. Uh, And so if you have your Bibles with you, I would encourage you to turn to Zephaniah chapter 1. Don't be fooled by our scripture reading this morning. Turn to Zephaniah chapter 1. Uh, My guess is that we're not all experts on the book of Zephaniah. So I do have a challenge for all of you this morning. I would would encourage you as we go through this series uh, to read through this book um, every week of the series. There are three weeks in this series and there are three chapters uh, in this book. And and you could probably read this book uh, forwards, backwards, and upside down all in one sitting. It's really short. So I would highly encourage you each week of this series, read through the book of Zephaniah. And like I said, my guess is we're not all experts on this book. So what I would like to do this morning is I want to set the stage for this book. Um, and then I want to read through a portion of chapter one and chapter two. And then take a critical message out of it. All right? So Zephaniah was a prophet during the reign of King Josiah. Uh, King Josiah is the uh, king we all learn about as kids because he took the throne at the ripe old age of eight years old. And for those of you who have an eight-year-old in the house, you know that your child is not ready to rule a nation You're still trying to keep nice things in the house at that point. But uh, Zephaniah was uh, a prophet during this time. And and Josiah was one of the many, many kings that came after King David. Um, And in order to understand the book of Zephaniah, we have to understand what was going on in Israel, or rather Judah, before uh, Zephaniah uh, was was prophesying. So like I said, we're going to take a look at the many kings that came after David. Um, you know, the results weren't great. Uh, Israel was not in a great place. There were many kings that followed David. And there were many not so great kings during this time. Uh, The first king after David was his son, Solomon. And he started off well, like he started off really well by asking God for wisdom. And then he built this amazing temple as a tribute to God. 
But then things started to change when he started marrying a bunch of women um, for political gain. And Solomon, you know, we had, he had 700 wives. And with that came gods from other areas that, that those women would bring in. And, and Solomon began to adopt these gods. And he also started incorporating slave labor and he gained much wealth. And, and uh, he, if you would look to see how a king is supposed to be ruling in Israel, he is far from it by the end of his reign. Well, right after Solomon was Rehoboam, and he was driven by greed, and he began taxing the people really heavily. Um, and under an, the leadership of another man named Jeroboam, the nation of Israel split into two. There was the northern kingdom of Israel with the capital Samaria, and there was the southern kingdom of Judah with the capital Jerusalem. So the once unified nation is not off to a great start. And things just go from bad to worse. Both Israel and Judah had about 20 kings. And, and the Bible actually has some criteria that they, they hold them to in order to see if they were good kings. So we're going we're gonna to look at that criteria to see how many kings were good. So uh, the first one is, did they worship the God of Israel alone. Number two was, did they rid Israel of idolatry? And number three was, were they faithful to the covenant? Well, Israel, like I said, had about 20 kings and, and all of them were bad news. None of them were good. They were 0 for 20 on good kings. Judah also had uh, about 20 kings, and only eight of the 20 were considered to be good kings, which Josiah, King Josiah, was actually one of those kings. So Israel is, and Judah are not doing so great. And in fact, Zephaniah's parents would have lived during the time of Manasseh. And Manasseh was Judah's worst king. He spilled much innocent blood and even sacrificed his own sons. And the only hope that Israel seemed to have is if the right king sat on the throne. But for every good king, they had five kings that did evil in the sight of the Lord. Spilling innocent blood and worshiping other gods, Israel, Israel and Judah had entirely lost their way. They were swallowed up in idolatry. And completely abandoned, forsaken the God that saved them. And as we read through this story and all these stories of these kings, we think, when is the right king going to sit on this throne? So this sets the stage for Zephaniah. Because God sends a message through Zephaniah. And because Judah was so far gone, it was a message of destruction. You know, I was actually joking around with John the other day. And I said, you have me opening this series with Zephaniah 1. And the title of this sermon series is Hope Remains. Well, if you have ever read through the book or through the 
Zephaniah chapter 1, there doesn't seem to be much hope there at all. And I'm actually going to read that, uh, read a portion of it. And I want you to know Zephaniah chapter 1 reads through, reads like this almost all the way through. So we're, we're going to together read Zephaniah chapter 1 verses 1 through 9. And what I want you to do, I want you to hear the weightiness of God's judgment because of Judah's idolatry. So let's read this together. The word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, son of Cushai, the son of uh, Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, during the raid of Josiasen of Ammon, king of Judah. I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away both man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the sky and the fish in the sea and the idols that cause the wicked to stumble. When I destroy all mankind on the earth, declares the Lord, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. I will destroy every remnant of Baal worship in this place. The very names of the idolatrous priests, those who bow down on the roofs to to worship the starry host, those who bow down and swear by the Lord and also swear by Melech. Those who turn back from following the Lord and neither seek the Lord nor inquire him. Be silent before the sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and he has consecrated those he has invited. On the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all those clad in foreign clothes. On that day, I will punish all who avoid stepping on the threshold who fill the temple of their gods with violence and deceit. This is how all of Zephaniah chapter 1 reads, by the way. Like, it is, it is a message of destruction to the nation of Judah. So do you feel how serious the situation is? And I believe the nation of Judah teaches us a valuable lesson here. And God teaches us something about idolatry. Idolatry is treason against God. So let's take a moment and talk about idolatry. Let's take a moment and define it as well. Because some of you may be thinking, well, if idolatry is treason, I definitely don't want to be doing that thing. So we're going to go ahead and define it for us this morning. Uh, the working definition is, uh, of idolatry is letting anyone or anything other than Jesus sit on the throne of our hearts. Or letting anyone or anything make all of the decisions for our lives other than Jesus. You know, I've actually been taking a course at uh, Rosedale Bible College. It's a course on counseling. <clears throat> and one of the things that I've learned in this is <clears throat> how easy it is to let something, to let our desires rule our lives, to sit on the throne of our hearts. And we actually even have a diagram we use to draw it up. So I want to I show you that this morning. I want you to picture your life as a tree. Uh, Picture your life as a tree. And what do all trees need in order to stay standing or to absorb water and nutrients and life? They need roots. 
Well, I can think of no better route for your life than for Jesus to sit on the throne of your life. But here's where things get start to get a little bit tricky. We also all have desires. And it might not even be bad desires. Like you can have good desires. All of us can have desires and they can be good or bad. And one of my, and like I said, I'm going to use myself as an example here. So again, this is the judgment-free portion. Uh, one of my many desires is I like to watch football. I love to watch football. On Sundays after church, one of my favorite things to do is go watch football. Now, is there anything wrong with me wanting to hopefully watch the Browns destroy the Patriots today? No, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. In fact, I think that's a good desire. In my mind, that's a very good desire. But my family knows that I like football. Uh, My friends know that I like football. Everybody knows that I like football. However, when the desires change to what matters most to us in the world, then these desires are making its way to the throne of our hearts, which is idolatry. Anyone or anything other than Jesus sitting on the throne of our hearts. But what happens next is ugly. Just like the nation of Judah, things went ugly when they put other things before God. Things get ugly for us too if we put anything before Jesus. And it's easy to see when something other than Jesus is ruling our hearts. Matthew chapter 7, verses 16 through 18 says, By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruits. If our lives are the tree and who's ruling our hearts is the root, you will be able to tell if your desire is an idol based on the fruit that your tree produces. Maybe one Sunday afternoon, Raquel doesn't want me to watch football. Maybe she wants to go for a walk instead and talk about our marriage, talk about our lives. And I get angry. I get upset. Honey, don't you know that the Browns only play once a week? Don't you know that we don't have a DVR and I can't record the game? Don't you know that this is something I look forward to each week? Maybe the Browns lose and I get even more upset. Because this is what's sitting on the throne of my heart. This is what's making the decisions for me. And now all of a sudden all these bad fruits start to come out. And you're thinking, well, Jeremy, just watch the game and don't get mad at Raquel if she doesn't want you to. Well, the anger is not the problem. What is the problem? The roots to my tree are bad. Something other than Jesus is sitting on the throne of my heart. And that's the problem. Well, maybe for you it's, it's, it's different. Maybe your desires are different. Maybe you don't have a desire to watch football. Maybe you're thinking, Jeremy, you're being a little overdramatic with this football thing. Oh, I get it. I get it. I'm, I'm using an extreme example on purpose to try and illustrate this. But I really want us to understand that anyone or anything can sit on the throne of our hearts. 
And maybe you're thinking, that sounds like a little much. The thing is, we have to choose. We have to choose who sits on the throne of our hearts. So maybe you're thinking that sounds like a little much. Like, Jeremy, really anyone or anything can sit on the throne of my heart? Well, I want you to think about it this way. Does it ever feel like work rules your life? There's just so much to do, so many things to get done. You don't have time to do everything that you need to do. So work rules your life. There just are not enough hours in a day to get everything done. Or maybe for you, it feels like family rules your life. And with Christmas and Thanksgiving coming up, and there's so many people to see, so many things to do. And the kids are starting basketball, and there's a a Christmas banquet coming up, or a Christmas party, or a Christmas program. Like, it just feels like there's so much stuff, and it just feels like it's ruling your life. And I want to be clear, it's, again, these desires aren't bad desires. I think they're good desires. It's good to desire to get things done. It's good to desire to spend lots of time with your family. Like Those are good things. But what I'm trying to show you is how easy it is for something else to fill that spot that Jesus is supposed to be at. How easy it is to let something other than Jesus take the place where he is meant to sit. And we actually have to choose We actually have to choose because if we don't, something else will just come. If we don't, if we don't put our desires or our plans in the right place, they will come and they will sit on the throne. And church, hear me this morning. If we don't choose who sits on the throne of our hearts, we will be lost in idolatry, completely forsaking the God that saves saves us. But here's the tension. You know, we kind of, our desires sitting on the throne of our hearts is kind of like, it's kind of like us sitting on the throne of our own hearts. And when we sit down, it feels kind of good. We kind of like to sit on the throne of our own hearts. We like to decide what we do with our time, what we do with our money, what we do, how we treat other people. We like to decide those things. And we like the feeling of control that we have. But here's what I know. Um, I turned 28 uh, just uh, two weeks ago. And for some reason, this birthday, it just, it, uh, it hit different. It hit different. It was just, it was hard. And the thought that kept going through my mind was, Jeremy, you have been an adult for 10 years. And I get it. I get it. Some of you guys are like, Jeremy, I have grandchildren that are older than you. I have great-grandchildren older than you. I've been an adult for 30, 40, 50, 60 plus years. I get it. I get it. I'm still young. But what I know now, after 10 years of being an adult, And what I've learned about adults is we really just, we really don't know what we're doing. Yeah, maybe we've learned a few things. 
since becoming an adult. Maybe there's some things that we've learned. But we just really don't know what to do about life-changing decisions. Decisions that will change our spiritual lives, our, our family lives. What to do about that friend that came to you and said their life is falling apart and they need help. What to do about the poor, the needy, the broken. We just, we just really don't know. We just really don't know what we're doing. So, so what, where does that leave us? What do we do next? Well, the scripture actually tells us in Zephaniah chapter 2. So flip there. Zephaniah chapter 2. Verses 1 through 3. Gather together yourselves. Gather together. Gather yourselves together, you shameful nation. Before the decree takes effect. And the day passes like a windblown chaff. Before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you. Before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land. You who do what he commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. So what is the best thing for us to do? To submit. To humble ourselves. To stand up. And to let Jesus take the rightful place as the king of our hearts. You know, he has bought you with a price. And he paid the penalty of death on a tree to sit on the throne of your heart. He is the one to rule the throne of your heart. And him Alone, I get it. We all have desires. So who sits on the throne of your heart? Is it you? Is it something or someone else? Do you need to submit and let Jesus take his rightful place? You can choose to do that. All of us have the choice to let Jesus take the rightful place. We can choose now or it can happen later by force. Because what does the Bible say? One day every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. One day every knee will bow. One day every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And I don't mean that in a heavy-handed sort of way. I don't mean that to sound threatening really in any way. I only mean it this way. Jesus wins. He will be victorious. Because the truth is that King Jesus will reign. Our God is the one who has won. And he will, he is and has been and will forever be. So church, here is the hope from Zephaniah chapter 1. Our God will be victorious. Our hope is found in Him alone. To Him be the glory forever and ever. After the service, maybe for some of you, uh, you find that Jesus isn't ruling your heart. Something or someone else is. I would encourage you to come to the front over here. There will be members from our prayer team that can pray with you. 
So, Father, this morning, we thank you for your word. We pray that it would make a big impact into our lives, to change the way we walk, the way we speak. And as we go about our days in life, I pray that the gospel would be on our lips, that we would share the good news of the hope that we have in you. That while we may not know what to really do, you do, Father. And you are a good and loving Heavenly Father. Father, it is in your Son's matchless name that I pray. Amen.